and welcome back to Interpreting India. As the world looks hopefully to emerge from the shadow of the coronavirus pandemic, the first few months of 2022 have been defined by another variant of the COVID-19 virus, precarious geopolitical relations, and a rapidly evolving technological landscape. This season, we at Carnegie India are examining many of the challenges and opportunities that India will confront in the coming decade. I'm your host, Deep Pal, and this week we are discussing the evolving dynamic between Russia, India, and China. The concept of a tripartite alliance between the three countries was first proposed by then-Russian Prime Minister Yevgeny Primakov in 1998, and Moscow has been working to promote it ever since. After a gap of 12 years, Russia organized the RIC summit on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Argentina in November 2018. It was followed by India holding a summit on the sidelines of the Osaka G20 summit in 2019. While no summit has been possible since 2019 due to the COVID crisis, it is now the turn of China to organize the next one, which it is believed is being planned for this year. In this episode of Interpreting India, we aim to understand the evolving dynamic between Russia, India and China in the background of the war in Ukraine. How do the current developments affect the relationship between these three countries? Specifically, what effect might the war have on India's close relations with Russia, which has moved closer to China? How might India's principle of strategic autonomy in foreign policy be affected while navigating through an increasingly complicated geopolitical order? And what do the visits of Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi and Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov to India in rapid succession in March 2022 tell us? Joining us today to discuss these questions and more are Dr. Tanvi Madan and Ambassador P.S. Raghavan. Tanvi Madan is a senior fellow in the Project on International Order and Strategy in the Foreign Policy Program and director of the India Project at the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C. Dr. Madan's work explores India's role in the world and its foreign policy, focusing in particular on India's relations with China and the United States. She's the author of the book, Fateful Triangle, How China Shaped U.S.-India Relations During the Cold War, brought out by Brookings Institution Press in 2020. P.S. Raghavan was, from 2016 to 2020, chairman of the National Security Advisory Board, which advises India's National Security Council on strategic and security issues. He engaged on these issues with departments and think tanks in India and outside. From 1979 to 2016, he held diplomatic positions in the Soviet Union, United Kingdom, Poland, South Africa, and Vietnam, and was India's ambassador to the Czech Republic, Ireland, and Russia. From 2000 to 2004, he was joint secretary in the prime minister's office, dealing with foreign affairs, nuclear energy, space, defense, and national security. Mr. Raghavan, Dr. Madan, welcome to Interpreting India. Let me start by uh, spreading the net a little wide, and then maybe we can get into the finer points. If I can start with you, Mr. Raghavan, now, uh, while the idea of a strong Russia-India-China trilateral grouping has circulated since the 1990s, you know, for obvious reasons, uh, it, it has always been tenuous. Now, post this Ukraine war and, and Russia's deeper embrace of China, what can realistically India expect out of such a group? Yeah, I, I think uh, what you said was very right. It's been the idea of an RIC has been around for quite a while. But, uh, you know, its context has changed over the years considerably. Uh, if you look at the 1990s, the late 1990s, early 2000s, that is when actually the RIC dialogue was su suggested by the Russians and picked up by the Chinese and actually somewhat reluctantly at that stage by the Indians. Uh, I know I was uh, involved in the policy making at that time. Uh, 
the idea at that time was you know india was looking to uh, uh, create or, or uh, participate in a multipolar world and the ric appeared to be a reasonable kind of a corrective to a unipolar uh, world which the uh, which was developing and which, which was there at that time the idea also was that you know given our geography and given the geopolitics of asia you could look at this grouping as articulating what you might call a non west view of the world not an anti west view of the world actually none of the three wanted an anti west view of the world at that time uh, russia china india all three of us were wanting good relations with the us so that was the context in which the ric started but as you say you as it has developed uh, the the russia west standoff had a huge impact on uh, ric the russia west impact with the russia west standoff also created a closer russia china strategic partnership which obviously changed the uh, dynamics of the ric so what you see today you don't need to go as far as the ukraine war i think the ric context changed even before that uh, right from 2014 onwards the ric context has changed now for india the importance of the ric really is to be present in an area which russia and china dominate you know the geography is more than half of geopolitics so uh, if you really look at the area north of india which is dominated by russia and china i mean essentially central asia west asia iran afghanistan is a space that is sandwiched between russia china and india so whatever the nature of the russia china relationship india needs to be present there india needs to be present there in order to increase its room for maneuver in that region yes we understand that the russia china relationship is working in many ways in india's uh, to india's uh, disfavor if you like now <laughs> in fact part of our uh, uh, relationship with the us is is has also been in the past i mean i'm talking about before the ukraine war uh, to try to persuade the us that you know if you if your standoff with russia lightens a little bit that will increase our room for maneuver in this region so anyway the, uh, to, the short point is that the ric context has changed considerably but at the same time it is important for india to remain in that region and to try to change the dynamics of that region in our favor of course you know the centralations as well the centralations the iranians uh, uh, have also some interest in changing the dynamics of what to to dilute the russia china condominium in that region and that's where india has to be present tanvi same question i think you know the mr raghavan pointed out that you know the context has changed i think i just add to that you know the very fact that this you've now seen russia china actually take a more they've gone from kind of a non west to an anti west framing sometimes uh while india has not for india uh the west many of the western countries not just the us but uh european countries japan as well whose relations with uh, Ch- uh china and russia in recent uh months has deteriorated um are partners of india 
and they're they're important for India's own tra- transformation, economic transformation, uh, technological transformation, as well as its security. So for India now, the context has changed after Russia, India, China trilateral as well. I'd say a second thing in some sense as well, China-India tensions, I think, have cre- changed that context as well. Uh, now, in both ways, for one, the Russia-India-China uh, platform, along with uh, the others that, for example, it is, it's clustered with, right? The BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, or the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Uh, that Those are kind of a place where India can actually deconflict. Uh, they provided a platform, for example, for External Affairs Minister Jay Shankar to engage with uh, uh, to engage with his counter Chinese counterpart Wang Yi uh, in um, September 2020, for example. So, in some senses, it provides this platform, even when there are differences, uh, to kind of at least deconflict though not resolve the situation necessarily. Um, so to kind of alleviate some of the tension. Uh, and that can sometimes be an important, uh, an important um, you know, u- utility of such a platform in its own right. Um, having said that, the broader China-India tensions have now made, uh, you know, the both, it's affected kind of both the agenda, I think, but also um, affected, you know, this idea that there would be a collective view on the international order. Now, in some ways, India has similar concerns about the the way the international order at least was being kind of uh, certain aspects of it. For example, the three countries tend to be sovereignty hawks. Um, and, you know, they have concerns about regime change and interventions being used uh, in that regard. Of course, they have been different, the, you know, practiced differently by these countries uh, in, in, in different areas. But regardless, there was some kind of overlap. Um, there was also overlap, as, as uh, uh, Mr. Raghavan said, about this idea of a multipolar world. But I think what you've seen is, and you see this even reflected in China-India differences, is you've seen that idea of what that multipolar world should look like uh, change over time. And so, for instance, you know, you've heard the external affairs minister allude to this uh, um, and not say China directly, but, you know, saying that for us, a multipolar world is not just at the global scale. We want a multipolar Asia. And um, that is not something that India believes uh, and while it's not explicitly said that Beijing wants, that Bo- Be- the, the the sense is that Beijing wants uh, a unipolar Asia and not a multipolar Asia, while it might want a bipolar, or multipolar world. Now, this is where kind of the Russia angle becomes interesting, right? Because India's hope has been historically, again, this is not new, that India, um, uh, that Russia will be part of that multipolar Asia. One of the things when Prime Minister Modi went to Vladivostok uh, a few years ago is he made a pitch for the Russians to think about themselves not just as a European country, but also as an Asian or Indo-Pacific country, saying that, you know, don't align, your interest uh, is not necessarily aligned uh, with China on this, but with us, India, because historically, um, and this is often forgotten, I think, particularly in the West, uh, India didn't just want the West or the US to play a balancing role vis-a-vis China. Uh, Russia was crucial in that regard. And so I think, you know, that's changed about the Russia-India-China context, uh, where earlier Ch- Russia had been, or the Soviet Union then, had been India's insurance policy um, uh, you know, against uh, China. Then you saw 
uh, kind of this more collective um, collective uh, uh, working together to, to to portray this different idea uh, at least as non-West um, and not some non-West ideas out there and now but now you've seen it go further and I think this potentially could be a concern is uh, as Russia China become closer what does that do to uh, this collective uh, as India China uh, relations uh, 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 at least, you know, don't remain stable or abnormal, uh, as the external affairs minister put it. I will say, you know, another place this has been a useful platform or used to be where it has changed because these broader geopolitical differences, including between India and China, have changed. Um, Russia, India, China trilateral used to be a useful place to talk about Afghanistan. Uh, but of course, now that has changed and that's not a topic. So I think the cont- the changing of the context has changed uh, the grouping, uh, and perhaps it's a gender uh, as well. Tanvi, it's very interesting that you talk about the role as balancer, and I'll come back to that in a, in a bit. But I also kind of wanted to uh, go towards, you know, the, the what you've written about the need for India avoiding uh, the binary of either a non-alignment or an alliance trap kind of a thing. Now, very often when India's reluctance to um, criticize Russia is discussed, but there's much more, right? There's there's India's preference for a certain kind of a multipolar international order, which which has a broader distribution of power, right? That doesn't get talked about as often or understood as well. That's right. I think, you know, India has talked about, after all, you know, if there's a bipolar world that doesn't exactly leave India in a, in a great uh, position. And India is, uh, you know, re-emerging, if you wanted to put it that way, if not kind of emergent already and is a power... You know, you can say what what level of power, but has its own interests. Um, now, when there had been, in 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 fact, in the Cold War, when it was kind of the U.S. versus Soviet Union, that actually meant India had more options. India played one off against the other. It got benefits from both. Uh, yes, there were differences, and India sometimes got caught in the middle. But largely, these were two distant powers that you know. Could be helpful in India, and India ended up getting, especially in the 60s, uh, and to some extent even in the second half of the 1950s, um, benefits from both uh, economic and military. Uh, but then, you know, if you're thinking about if there was a bipolar world today, it would be U.S. versus China, and in that context, India is aligned. It might not; it's not a U.S. ally, but India, because of its own differences with China, uh, is not exactly, and you know, China's un- unwillingness to kind of help. Uh, India's rise, um, as in some ways both antagonists in the Cold War had been, uh, this bipolar confrontation is very different uh, for India. Uh, you know, Russia is different here. I think, you know, when and, and so for India, if there's actually a multipolar world, it also gives India more options. And the way I think about even something like non-alignment, what, what was the strategy underlying it, which has been consistent since 1947 to this day? It is a diversification strategy, which is that India does not want to depend on any one country or over rely on one country as a partner because there's a sense that that could constrain India's freedom of action and also a sense that whether it is India has had an experience of pretty much every uh, close partner of it not being reliable at some times. At some point. So, you know, not wanting to have options. Um, you know, some people call this hedging. I think it's hedging against uncertainty. It's not necessarily hedging between uh, countries. And so this idea of having a diversified portfolio of partners, uh, which I think India believes 
would be uh, would be kind of would benefit from a multipolar world. I will say, you know, there is a difference, though, in, as I said, what India sees as a multipolar world uh, um, and um, perhaps Russia and China do today. Uh, some of that has to do with, you know, uh, India is fine with kind of aligning with certain plurilaterals, but not allying. Um, whereas, you know, there is a sense uh, amongst China and Russia that some of these plurilaterals or mini laterals that India is part of, um, you know, they, uh, whether it's the Quad, uh, but also some of these trilaterals that India has, that they're not approving of these. And this is part of, for India, part of the multipolar world is that India has agency or the freedom of action to align when it needs to for its own interest. And this does sometimes, I think, create a, a difference uh, in this in this regard. So I think, you know, there will need to be, um, there will, will likely be some form of multipolarity, but there is, it is the fact that to some extent there is the US and China uh, confrontation is shaping even the decisions vis-a-vis uh, -vis who to partner with that kind of that multipolar level. Going off of that, if, if, I, if I may, uh, and looking at the India-US relationship, right? You have talked elsewhere about how uh, this is something that has developed over the last two decades. And, you know, obviously the, 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 the two countries will continue to partner. But what is clearer now or more stark now is, is the difference in the way India and the U.S. Uh, uh, conceive the question of, of, of balance of power or how power should be, should be distributed across the international order, right? Um, uh, that must have some kind of an effect. I actually think, you know, had um, this is, you know, something Mr. Raghavan mentioned, I think in a, uh, you know, the, the people who do think about this in a very stark balance of power uh, way, and you saw this over the summer when President Biden, last summer when President Biden met, um, met with uh, President Putin, uh, which is the, the part of the idea had been, including on the president's part, is that very classic balance of power that the major challenge for the U.S. is China. And therefore, at the very least, much like India and France and Japan had been arguing, the very least you want to stabilize relations with Russia, even if you don't resolve differences, so that it at least you stall its alignment or getting deeper, uh, uh, closer to China. Uh, now, obviously, that has there's a big pause on that, if not kind of the prospects of that having deteriorated, given kind of France and Japan also now not calling for that right now. But in some senses, if you look at it from a purely balance of power sense, I don't think there's as much disagreement uh, on that question. Uh, the, but it is does fundamentally come down to, you know, the US-Russia differences, Russia-China alignment is what changes this. But if you think about it theoretically, I think there are people who would say a similar thing, that you don't want, uh, even from a military perspective, it doesn't suit the US to have to think about both uh, a Russia and a China uh, challenge. And you might have to think about it, but you definitely don't want to have to deal with the two of them uh, coordinating, you know, similar to India not wanting China and Pakistan uh, to uh, be coordinating very closely or have to plan for a kind of a joint front. So I think you do see uh, people who think about that uh, balance of power um, uh, context. But I think, you know, they are just kind of links to a broader issue that I think the current developments have highlighted, two perhaps contradictions, one that the U.S. needs to reconcile, one that India needs to reconcile. Um, one is, you know, on the U.S. side, 
uh, it wants kind of, you know, India to say either limit its, um, uh, does not particularly like the India-Russia relationship. It has been a source of difference in US-India relations. This is not new. It's just this crisis is reflective of that. But for the US and other Quad countries, the very role that they want India to play in the region to balance China, to hold the line at the border, to be a regional security provider in the Indian Ocean, is dependent on the capabilities that are of Russian and Soviet origin, uh, not entirely, but in large part. And so, you know, it and, and down the line, if there is a prospect of China, Russia, at least not getting, not allying, um, India is kind of the non-China option that India provides to Russia is one. So, you know, there is that contradiction. It's something that the U.S., I think, has to grapple with recognizing. At the very least, you know, you could come to an Eisenhower-like S thing where the U.S. tolerates. You don't necessarily like the India-Russia relationship, but you tolerate it. I think for India, the reconciling is, and perhaps uh, Mr. Raghavan can talk more about the kind of Russia-China aspect and the prospects of that. But for India, the question is, it has wanted to align uh, with like-minded countries to balance China, but it is not wanting to, wanted to align with those countries to isolate Russia. But how down the line does that get reconciled with an ever closer Russia-China alignment? And I think a big question is, uh, and these are big questions that will have implications for India, what are the prospects for this alignment? Uh, how, um, and there are obviously differences uh, from what I follow the debate in Delhi on this question. Um, is there going to be a Sino-Russian split? Uh, uh, are the, what, the, what are the limits? You know, they said no limits partnership, but there are clearly limits on both sides. Um, and if a Sino-Russian split happens, when will it happen? Because timing matters. And I'll just say one thing, you know, Prime Minister Nehru, when he first met President Truman in 1949, told him Russia, a Soviet Union and China will split. Uh, and so we should continue to engage uh, China to try to kind of keep this communist monolithic bloc from being separate. He wasn't wrong. His timing was wrong. And so it took, you know, 13, 14, 15 years for that to materialize. In the meantime, particularly in the late 50s, and I think particularly in 1962, the fact that that Sino split hadn't quite happened yet had deep implications and adverse implications for, for India for a bit. So I think, you know, these questions are going to be important uh, in terms of India reconciling its contradictions, just like the U.S. on its part will have contradictions. And I think in some ways, how India and the U.S. manage these contradictions themselves and with each other will help determine, you know, how how much of an obstacle these differences are. Mr. Ravan, I was going to come to you on the on the China-Russia question. But before that, if you can respond to this, the, the question of this contradiction in the in the India-US relationship. Yeah, no, I'd like to do that. Uh, you know, I want to go back to the uh, start of this uh, century, when actually the India-US partnership uh, was beginning to form or beginning to change into a strategic partnership. I was very intimately involved in the India-US relationship at that time. I was in Prime Minister Vajpayee's office. And uh, in fact, the the uh, I would say the seeds of the strategic partnership today were sown at that time. Uh, and really, they came out of a series of conversations between our National Security Advisor, Bajesh Mishra, and the US National Security Advisor, Condoleezza Rice. Uh, I was Mr. Mishra's deputy, so I read 
a lot of conversations with Dr. Rice and with Stephen Hadley at that time. You know, it was very clearly that the balance of power concept that you talked about was very clearly in the mind minds of the Americans. And Condoleezza Rice has written about it also in her memoirs. But it was very clear. There were two or three aspects of it that were very clear. Uh, the, the, the Russia competition of the U.S. was there, but they understood perfectly well that India was important in the China context, uh, a democracy in South Asia. And in a, in, a, in a curious sort of way, India's nuclear tests, which actually caused all the sanctions, were, were also something that increased U.S. confidence in India's ability to look after its security, which is why the sanctions were lifted very quickly, which is why it led eventually to the nuclear uh, deal. So, you know, this, this Russia being, uh, and, and India being dependent, if you like, on Russia for its military strength was very much in the U.S. mind. And, and they understood it. I mean, they didn't, they may not have liked it, but the point is that it, it's a legacy of history. And, and changing it, I'll come to that also separately. Changing it is something that we've been trying to do since then. And, and we're moving very slowly in that direction, but we're still moving there. But, uh, coming back to, uh, Therefore, where things started souring was when the U.S.-Russia relationship went too rapidly downhill. You know, at that time, there was even a period of time when George Bush rang up President Putin and said that, will you please tell India and Pakistan to lay off? You know, this was during that uh, standoff uh, in 2002. And then he rang up Putin and thanked him for having <laughs> intervened between India. So, you know, the, the context, that context has changed. And that is what has actually affected uh, India standing in this RIC. And now, you see, with each administration in the US, India has had to rebuild this idea with the administration. Uh, and the, the idea that you may not like the India-Russia partnership, but please understand it is important for this, uh, for the military vulnerability of India in this region. And also, the the, the uh, diversification of India's military uh, uh, acquisitions is happening. It's happening actually much faster than what people seem to think. And just because there is one S-400, which is a, a huge thing which everybody talks about, it doesn't mean that other aspects of uh, our military acquisitions are not uh, diversifying. There are problems. I mean, the problems are there in technology, the problems in interoperability, interoperability. Believe me, I have been working actually a lot in the recent past to see how we can uh, reconcile these issues. And there are major issues there, but it is not lack of will. It is not, not lack of political will. It may be lack of bureaucratic will, and it may be lack of uh, will on the part of some companies in the US, because that also is an issue. Technology transfer is an issue. And the other part of it, of course, is that India does not want to transfer. And that uh, Professor Madan mentioned this. India does not want to transfer one dependence, uh, uh, dependence from one uh, country to another completely. So you're trying in between to also develop a defense industry. You're trying to get self-reliance. You're trying to see what technology you can get from whom uh, in, in such a way as to develop our uh, defense industry. That also goes into the mix. Now, very often, you know, America also, you, you see the U.S. administration is not a monolithic, monolithic uh, administration. I always call the, the United States a multipolar democracy. You know, you have, you have multiple poles which feed into policy making, and you need to make sure that you have support of enough of those poles to bring them together. Actually, part of the problem in Ukraine is also that. But anyway, that's a separate issue, not, not linked to this. But 
Uh, you see, and therefore, our being able to convince various polls in the U.S. administration of this is what's uh, inability to do it sometimes is what causes a lot of uh, discordant notes in public. Whereas if you look at the, the core U.S. administration, they do understand this, even from administration to administration. So sometimes we need to cut out the external noise as well in this and, and stick to the, uh, the, the actual policy makers and what they say to each other. Very interesting. Uh, if I can move from the from the India-US diet to the, the uh, Russia-China diet, uh, Mr. Agamon. So Dr. Madan talked about the how no relationship is without limits, right? But till we discover that limit in the China-Russia relationship, uh, what kind of, uh, as, as China and Russia get closer in the aftermath of Ukraine and everything, what kind of uh, costs might might China want to extract from Russia? And, and when I say cost, I'm, I'm thinking of, of things that India might want to be cognizant or even concerned about. Uh, you know, you, we, we, you talk about Russia-China, the Russia-China limitless partnership, and they call it limitless partnership. That's fine. But what makes that limitless, limitless partnership? It is the United States of America. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the one... The, 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 the standoff with the U.S. and the standoff, the standoff with the U.S. of Russia and China is what brings them close together. And actually, it is the United States that can split Russia and China in many, many ways, because the underlying uh, issues are there. The underlying contradictions are there. There are a number of strategic uh, uh, contradictions that needs to be emphasized and brought to the surface. In fact, in the, uh, after President Putin, uh, after President Biden met President Putin in Geneva, you saw a number of uh, uh, journal uh, uh, articles also talking about how to split Russia from China in foreign affairs, for example. There are quite a few of them. So, uh, you know, if you talk about the concept of a multipolar world, Putin does not want to be a uh, a lackey of the Chinese. Now, depending on the way in which this war ends, you see, it also depends on how this war ends, how much weakened Russia is at the end of the war, and therefore how much China can take advantage of it. I don't think it's good for the United States either to weaken Russia too much uh, at the end of this war, because then it makes uh, Russia simply a, an adjunct of China. And so when you look at the balance of power, it means that the United States has actually uh, united two of its uh, its principal adversary and its subsidiary adversary together. So anyway, uh, if that happens and to the extent to which that happens will determine where we stand in the RIC triangle. I think it's very difficult to say. See, as of now, uh, I think in spite of the closeness and in spite of the fact that Russia has a subordinate relationship with China, you have to accept that. The fact still remains, and President Biden said that after he met President Putin, that Putin doesn't like it. And the whole idea was that Putin also wants to get out of it. Except that now, I think getting out of it is going to be much more difficult. But so far, uh, we have had, for example, in spite of Chinese pressure, the uh, Russians have been forthcoming on military cooperation with us. They have transferred all the technologies we wanted them to transfer they went ahead with the S-400 delivery at the time that we had that standoff with China, in spite of China having, and we have information that China actually applied pressure on them not to go ahead with it. But they succeeded in going ahead with it. So as of now, 
they still maintain that certain level of autonomy to deal with India. And that is, from a Russian perspective, if you want a multipolar world and if you don't want to be an adjunct to China, you need India. If you, if you lose India, then you don't have any anyone else. So, so that that that's the uh, very delicate equation where it stands today. Now, how this this war ends will have a great bearing on how this uh, interaction will develop. It's very difficult to say as of today. Can I can I just jump in there, Deep? Because I think you know this this is kind of um, I think there are two things here. One, I think this uh, I think where this war has made a difference is this uh, the kind of idea of creating a Sino-Russian split um, or kind of, you know, enabling it, I think this has taken a hit, um, and depending, again, how long it lasts. But, you know, even the voices you had heard, I mean, the two other countries and leaders who had been talking about the West needing to uh, have a rapprochement or at least stabilize relations with Russia were Shinzo Abe uh, in Japan and uh, President Macron in, uh, in, in France. And both those countries have now also been much more vocal in their criticism uh, of Russia. And so I think, you know, every time there are voices in the U.S. saying uh, China is the challenge, you need to, um, uh, uh, you know, you need to um, stabilize relations with Russia, whether it was, you know, the Crimean annexation, whether it was, um, uh, you know, the uh, the, uh, the uh, accusations of in- Russian interference in elections here, whether it was, uh, you know, thinking about the, um, uh, you know, uh, Skripal poisonings in the UK, or now uh, this uh, invasion of Ukraine. The thing is, this sets it back. And this has made it, so you can argue the rights and wrongs, the cause and effects, but the reality is, if you're thinking about it from a Russia, China, U.S. triangle perspective, what this has done is it's made that prospect of the U.S., Japan, and France working with kind of India to uh, make that happen uh, a little kind of further off uh, in the distance. And so then the thing is, the hope had been in Delhi that the West would do this. And so the question if is, that's not going to happen, uh, and that means that Russia and China are going to stay aligned than having to plan for that prospect. Related to that is the question I think of, uh, as Mr. Raghavan said, you know, we haven't seen Russia say, we are not going to supply India S-400s. But we have started to see, for example, at the UN, now it's not only because of Russia-China relations, it's because Russia has um, uh, been dealing with Pakistan for the kind of Afghanistan context, etc. But we have seen over the last few years, Russia take a slightly different position at the UN Security Council than it used to on matters that are of interest to India. And the question is, are we going and, and aligning with China or at least sitting back? And so with the U.S. and France then being the ones who are more forward leaning and blocking Chinese attempts to have meetings uh, on Kashmir uh, or, for example, in the 2019 crisis with Pakistan, you know, uh, being forward leaning uh, and pressing China on that. So it, it might not be, have been unhelpful, but it's sitting back. And so, you know, that, that question, when you also asked about what are the things that makes Russia an important partner for India is that it does have these seats at these various global high tables. Ideally, India wants Russian support, but you also don't, on the flip side, you at least don't want it to play spoiler. And so the question is, if we're not going, if we're going to see at least continued Russia-China alignment, not an alliance, but even an alignment 
does Russia, if it becomes more dependent, especially if it's weaker, does it start making choices that are unhelpful to India, either because China expects them or actually asks for them? And this would have ramifications, not just during potentially a crisis, but even on things like, for example, Russia signing off on India exporting the Brahmos to Philippines. Uh, you know, the, the question is, does China now say to Russia, you know, don't do that? And China, Russia now in a position where it might not have its own kind of freedom of space that it had in the past if China is its kind of uh, major, uh, major um, uh, partner. And so I think th- these are the questions we don't have. And I think you can, you know, I've heard people argue it both ways in Delhi that, you know, this is not a new moment in Russia-China relations. It's more of the same. And so India can manage it and Russia won't make those choices. But I've also heard, you know, some say that, no, this, whether it was the February 4th statement or Russia, China supporting Russia during this crisis, uh, more so than any other major power, at least, that this will have profound implications for uh, the Russia-China closeness and therefore implications for India. I think the defense part is easier because it will lead to, in any case, what India has wanted to do, which is, you know, the Atman Nirbharta, building a defense indigenous uh, industrial base uh, and uh, and diversifying. But, you know, that takes time. Uh, And uh, you're still going to need, you're still going to want to keep Russia on side because you don't want it to make that choice, those choices. So I think the, the question is, you know, what happens to Russia-China relations in the context that you're not likely to see a West-Russia rapprochement anytime soon? It might happen down the line, but I think for the next few years, it's just going to be very, very hard. But as Mr. Raghavan said, it also depends on the outcome of this crisis and how long it continues. Yeah, I'm glad you landed there because I was going to come to that. And if I can push you a little bit more, you know, during Galwan, we know uh, Russia conducted back-channel talks and things like that. Um, in, on a scale of, of, let's say, an honest broker to a neutral observer, right? The next time uh, uh, something like Galwan, something like Ladakh happens, uh, where does India, where can India expect to see Russia fall? So, you know, this, I, I think it's an interesting question, right? Because you can argue it both ways. You can say, look, Russia did not stall, uh, continue to supply India through, you know, the India-China crisis the last uh, two years. Um, and you heard, but you also heard um, Defense Minister Rajnath Singh say both when he went, came back from Moscow in 2020, summer 2020, but also after the two plus two in December 2021, um, he said during his kind of about uh, uh, Russia, he without actually mentioning China, he says, you know, Uh, The partners we want are the ones who are going to be reliable during when we need it the most. And, you know, that is that is kind of both uh, you can read it as as an acknowledgement of of Russian help in the past, but also a signal to Russia that India will judge its reliability and that, you know, we often talk about India needing Russia. but Russia needs India, too, and perhaps more so. Uh, strategically than it did before. But not just that. India is Russia's, I think, largest defense market. Um, uh, Mr. Raghavan will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, and so, you know, there is something to be said about market power and therefore them being tied in, especially as China starts to eat into Russian defense businesses around the world by now becoming a competitive seller. 
But I think there is this, you know, so that I think there is that aspect where Russia has continued to supply. It would be it would be kind of cutting off their nose to spite their face uh, if um, if they cut off supply, because then India will start thinking you're not reliable. Let's even diversify more. So you haven't seen Russia kind of, as far as I know, I mean, a lot of this, uh, it's it's hard to know from the outside, but we didn't see uh, uh, Russia, you know, um, stall that supply. Having said that, you also didn't see Russia take India's side as it has in, you know, in various India-Pakistan crises in the past. Now, Delhi might have concluded that given China-Russia relations, that's the best it can hope for that you want to keep Russia neutral. Um, what you don't want is to push it over into uh, onto, into China's side. The question today is, you know, in what happened in 1962? At that time, Russia was the senior partner, or the Soviet Union was the senior partner. Um, Soviet Union had tried to do much of what, like what Russia has been trying to do over the last few years, which is, they wanted to say neutral. They tried to, they said to China, you know, this is getting to be a problem. It's playing into the West's hands. You guys, China and India told both countries, you you know, the best thing to do is figure out this border dispute. Don't let it escalate. But it did escalate. The problem for Soviet Union at that time was, even though it was the senior partner, what was playing out while the 1962 war was going on? The Cuban Missile Crisis. And it needed Chinese buy-in for that. And so what did it do? It took ally friends, ally China's side over friend uh, India. It gave the, gave the Chinese intelligence on in India. It stalled the supply of MiGs. It diplomatically and publicly supported China for a bit. It told India to accept Chinese terms. Now, that is partly why India also believes it's not just the US. All external partners at the end of it will first act in their own interest and then their kind of partners. But what this means is this is not an abstract concern for India that if Russia becomes more beholden to China, that India has to worry about, well, what is it going to do during a China-India crisis? So if your best option is we just want, you know, that China, that Russia shouldn't take China's side, because if it does, that has adverse implications for India, given not just, I mean, these days diplomatic might be a different matter, but in terms of things like military um, supplies and the, th- the way it could actually hinder India's interest. Um, so I think, you know, there's both ways of looking at it is Russia didn't do certain things uh, that were helpful to India, it didn't stop supply, but it also didn't support India raising questions. So I think it really will depend on, uh, I don't think India depends on Russia to diplomatically support it in an India-China crisis. But I think there is there is the expectation or the hope that it will not do the uh, uh, stop supply during a crisis, military supply in a crisis. Mr. Raghavan, uh, you know, you, you talked about uh, India having leverage earlier also, and, and Tanvi alluded to it as well. And So how does Russia handle, and I mean, you, you have worked in Russia, you know Russia very deeply, how does Russia handle the pressure of having a close relationship with both India and China at the same time? And, and, we keep talking about how Russia has leverage, but surely India also has leverage in the in the relationship. Yes. Uh, what is India's leverage in the relationship? If you look at it, you know, uh, for Russia, to the extent that is possible, India is the balance vis-a-vis China. Now that works only if uh, it can 
retain a balance of uh, a certain level of autonomy from China. Now, quite obviously, as uh, Professor Madan said, this is, uh, the way things are going, you cannot you cannot predict at what stage Russia will become so dependent on China that it is unable to act uh, in support of India. It is unable. Now, we, we're not there as yet. We haven't been there so far. And where, when it will happen, whether it will happen, is something down the line once again. Among other things, it will depend on how this war ends. Uh, but if it does happen, then obviously the, the choices are stark, the choices are clear, but, the, the, but also it is a major hit for India because you are not today in a position to disengage from the military relationship from uh, Russia totally. And I move anywhere. So that will be a major issue. And, and everything that you do will be uh, to try to prevent that break from happening. The point really is that Russia also will not do that until it is absolutely essential for it to do so. So that's all that you can really say. Uh, the, the India's agency now, you know, this uh, defense cooperation that India has with Russia. How much leverage does it give India over Russia? It does give some leverage. But what is the importance of the defense cooperation for Russia? It is not economic. You know, if you look at it, Russia's defense sales around the world is a small fraction of its total exports. It's a small fraction of its energy exports. In fact, today Russia exports more grain globally than it exports arms. So one has to one has to put that in perspective, you know, why it is important for Putin, for example, you know, arms sales has a certain prestige attached to it. So so you say, you know, I supply arms to these countries. Actually, Russia's proportion of arms exports is also coming down. Uh, the latest SIPRI uh, arms transfer register mentions that. So you know, arms are a kind of a prestige. Export. It is not an economically critical export for Russia. So to that extent, you know, and also the nature of technologies that Russia transfers to India is simply not available to India from anywhere for a variety of reasons. I mean, that is also changing over time, but it is changing in India's view far too slowly. Uh, the, 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 you know, in, in monetary terms, the proportion of arms uh, India's the imports from Russia has fallen. In fact, I have the SIPRI statistics here, uh, which said that, you know, in the last 10 years, it fell from something like 69% to 49%. Mm -hmm. But if you look more in, into the granular picture, what is it that we have stopped buying and buy, are buying elsewhere? You will find that the really critical lethal weapon systems are still sourced from Russia. Not too many of them are sourced from outside Russia. So, you know, these are, so therefore there, unfortunately, the balance of dependence is on the side of India. They have the prestige. They have the, they can say that, you know, we are selling to India. They say India is a big country, blah, 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 blah. But we need those arms. And I think we need to accept that. We need to understand that. No political leader will say this publicly. Uh, but this is a fact. And this is a fact we have to live with. And therefore, you know, anything that we can do to prevent Russia from 
going totally into Chinese arms and thereby losing its agency will be a disaster for India. And anything that India can do in order to prevent that India needs to do until such time as it can disengage. And the process of disengagement is not easy. It's not like changing your uh, soap or shampoo brand. It's a far more complex operation. We're coming near the end of this episode. So I'll come with my final two questions to you, Tanvi. To you first, we haven't really talked about the India-China diet in the conversation so far. Um, so how does one see that relationship right now? And especially uh, Foreign Minister Wongi's visit in, in, in that context, if we can start there. Well, I think it's intimately connected to this conversation we've had, right? Particularly because of, as we've talked about the Russia-India-China trilateral. But one of the reasons Russia is crucial, and, and as Mr. Raghavan said, you know, that India can't, especially in this moment, um, when China-India tensions could escalate at the, at the boundary at any moment, even if there wasn't a crisis in Ukraine, this is kind of the, you know, the, the um, exercise season and, and spring when in any case you'd be, you, you'd have your forces on alert. But, um, you know, at this moment when China, India's, the relationship, as I said, the foreign minister noted was abnormal. Um, you particularly can't take the chance that uh, you upset Russia in a way that it does actually um you know, turn around and say, uh, you know, you might be uh, one of our kind of largest uh, defense markets, but you've upset us. And so uh, this is a problem. So I think, you know, one aspect of where India-China fits in is it's in the current moment that, uh, you know, what did what was one of the first things when this, uh, uh, when uh, in late February that India did on just before, there were two things. One, it put it put forces on alert because there was a concern that China would also take advantage of the world's attention being on Europe to take further action. Uh, and second, um, you know, asked the forces to actually look at their supply of spare parts and, uh, you know, what equipment they needed. Um, and this was connected, again, this is because of India-China, um, uh, uh, you know, tensions, also India-Pakistan to some extent, but it seemed to be focused on the India-China theater. Um but this has been affected because even if Russia now wants to supply and Mr. Raghavan might have a better sense of this, is its own current needs for its military right now, not to mention, you know, that um, uh, there might be actually just supply chain constraints, whether as a result of sanctions, whether as a result just of production capability, which is going to be focused at home, not to mention, and this is I have only learned, um, I did not know uh, how many components for Indian uh, for Indian, uh, you know, imported equipment comes from Ukraine uh, as well. So that being affected. So why is the concern? Because there is a challenge with China that has to be taken care of. So in the immediate moment, but I think there's the broader strategic concern. So you can solve or not stall. So we're not going to solve the India-China border tomorrow, but you can stabilize the relationship tomorrow. Frankly, you could even resolve the India-China boundary dispute and today, the India-China competition is of a, of a, on a larger scale, right? It's about the vision of Asia that we see. And I mean Asia in the larger sense, not just the Indo-Pacific, the more maritime area, which is what kind of Asia you want to see. So whether it is Chinese kind of influence in the neighborhood, China-Pakistan relations, you know, the view that China is actively blocking Indian membership in things like the nuclear suppliers group, uh, economic uh, differences, et cetera. And so... 
in that context where India-China competition is a reality, um, the question is, if you think of Russia as a part of that balancing strategy and not just a defense supplier, and even if it's not being that helpful today, you're hoping that it will happen down the line. You don't want to take that away. Uh, that's where this is. it's related to this crisis. But I think the second thing is, it also, because of that China challenge, India has very important relationships with the US, with Europe, with Japan, with Australia, with countries in Southeast Asia that are crucial to it. Because unlike you know, it might just want to keep Russia neutral diplomatically during a crisis. But a country like the U.S. was actively helpful with intelligence and diplomatic support and, and some equipment during uh, the China crisis as well. So what this means is it's just a more complicated balance for India. The India-China relationship and tensions make it this balancing act that India has frankly played uh, or not played, but uh, had to walk since 1947 uh, is just becoming, uh, you know, more kind of crucial and carefully will have to be handled more carefully. But again, it really depends, as Mr. Raghavan said, I think, you know, I'd start with what the duration and outcome of this crisis is going to be. Uh, and because that will, you know, shape the nature of implications, including for India-China relations. I'll just to say one final thing on this. The view that India has had is keep these two theaters separate. Even on the Quad thing, you know, let's not bring in uh, Ukraine into the... The problem is starting to be is that China is starting to link the two theaters in a much more significant way. Even this week, you saw China, even in its explanation of vote at uh, in the UN General Assembly on kind of voting against suspending Russia from the Human Rights Council, it again linked... Uh, the as it calls it, the Asia-Pacific to Europe. And it sees India in that context. And so one question is not that Russia is as active in this part, you know, especially in the Indian Ocean, but does it start to expect more Russian buy-in for uh, Beijing's own interests in the Indo-Pacific in a way that it, it hasn't really in the past? Mr. Ravavan, a final question to you. In fact, Tanvi kind of led to it. Uh, what does Russia expect out of India uh, in this in this uh, current situation, uh, especially how do the abs how are the absentations uh, seen in Moscow, and your read of the Russian foreign minister visit in this context? Well, I don't think Russia expects any more of uh, from India than it has got, and I don't think uh, it has any reason to expect more from India than it has got. Uh, India's you see, this is essentially a European issue in terms of a European security order being shaped. And therefore, it is a Russia-US-NATO issue. There is little that India can actually contribute in this and there is little that Russia can expect of India in this. Uh, if we have uh, refrained from condemning Russia, that's, I think, the most that Russia can expect from India. And Russia is pretty satisfied with that, uh, as long as India did not condemn Russia. Uh, it, I think uh, India has done what Russia expected India to do, for Russia to expect India to actually support it in its invasion of Ukraine would have been uh, a bridge too far. 
And obviously, I mean, it didn't expect it. It didn't happen. But when you, when you say that Russia wouldn't expect any more of, of, of India, uh, wouldn't it expect more in terms of trade at least? Because that, that seemed to be one of the key messages that we heard from the Russian foreign minister when in Delhi. Look, this is a smokescreen. India-Russia trade has never been more than $10 billion annually, if you put aside the defense uh, cooperation. So what are we talking about? I mean, Russia-China trade is about $100 plus billion. India-China trade is $100 plus billion. India-US trade is $100 plus billion. So what are we talking about? When you're talking about, again, this is something that is a as more as a signal, as a, as a kind of a show that, look, India is not uh, abiding by sanctions and India is trading with Russia. There is, I mean, just look at the route by which India can trade with Russia. You have to take, take uh, stuff halfway around the world to St. Petersburg port, which, which you cannot do because of the Black Sea. Otherwise, you go through China, which you, can, you do not wish to do. And therefore, you can, you can move a few containers through Iran uh, here and there, but that's about all you can do. So, you know, there is a distinct limit to which you can expand trade with Russia. Everyone knows that. So it is just a kind of, you can buy more oil. And I think India is buying more oil from Russia. But that's, again, it's chicken feed compared to what India buys, the oil India buys from even the US. India buys 10 times as much oil from the US. So, so I mean, these are all just signals to say that, yes, we don't buy, we don't actually uh, recognize sanctions because these are, not sanctions which are mandated by the UN. They are political signals more than any uh, than of any economic worth. Yes, we can buy a, a bit of oil uh, cheap. Why shouldn't we do it when Europe is giving Russia uh, 1 billion euro a day in its uh, uh, oil, coal and gas uh, imports? Why shouldn't we buy oil cheap and, uh, and, and benefit our population? But that's about it. I think there is nothing more than we can really do in terms of economic relationship with Russia. Until such time as, as, as the North-South Transport Corridor, of which we've been talking grandly for 20 years, <laughs> until such time that something happens out of it. Right. Uh, Dr. Tanvi Madan, Ambassador P.S. Raghavan, thank you so much for a fascinating conversation. Thank you for joining us on Interpreting India. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. To make sure you don't miss it, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about our research and team, you can visit us at carnegieindia.org. You can also find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. See you next time.